How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 249 of X Lapsed. We are officially at the eve of our 250th episode, a quarter of a thousand shows. How about that? Uh, and today, well, um, anybody familiar with the saying, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn? <laughs> I, you know, before I read the issue we're going to be discussing today, I promised myself that I was going to do whatever I could to see it in the most positive light as possible, trying to remove, you know, the cliché Chris problems from uh, the book that, uh, that we'll be discussing. And, well, I made it about a half a page before that kind of fell apart. Uh, you guys know me. Uh, you know, despite claims to the contrary, I am not comfortable being negative about these books. That's not my intent. That's not my goal. I'm not a provocateur. I'm not the, you know, angry X-Men nerd or angry comic book nerd. I'm not here to curse at these books and just run them down for shock value and to cater to folks who just love negativity on the internet. That's not what I'm all about. Uh, anytime I discuss a book that I don't like, I am very, very conflicted about it because uh, negativity just doesn't come easy to me. I mean, cynicism, sure. I mean, I am a cynical guy. I'm, you know, in my 40s. It's just a uh, a rite of passage at this point. But I don't like being outright negative. I don't think any comic creator, any creator of any content, wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I'm going to write something or create something truly awful today. I don't think that that's something that people do. I think that everything that people put their effort into, I mean, even this show included, you have the best of intentions here, and you try to do your best to entertained and to inform to just i don't know just be a positive thing in people's lives unfortunately we're talking about x corp and uh let's get into it let's just get into it here this is x corp number four i don't know if it's a penultimate issue it might be we're not seeing any uh, solicits after issue five so i suppose we will wait and see but uh yes this is x corp number four october 2021 cover date the story is called A Carrot on a Stick, written by Teeny Howard, with art by Alberto Fochi, or Fochi. Colors, Sonny Go. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X for now, Hickman. Edits, Amaro White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale August the 18th of 2021. Now, we open at the Tech Talks Expo at the botched launch of, I don't know if we call it KOL, Krakoa Online. Expect to have your mailboxes bombarded with KOL 1.0 CDs in the coming weeks? I don't know, maybe. Now, we've got Angel anxiously calling into Madrox to see just what in the hell's going on. And he learns that there are some intruders at the lab that caused the launch to go caca. But that's not how it was presented last issue, was it? I thought it was just a case of Madrox screwing up. 
does it does anybody care um Anyway, all's not lost, because Mastermind is here, and he's covering for the botch job with his illusions. Now, that's all well and good for the folks in attendance, but I'm not sure it makes total sense, because I would assume that this is a worldwide feed, and would probably just look like an idiot waving his hands around on an empty stage if you're watching this online, or via satellite, or via however. But what do I know? Double-page spread of roll-calling cred, our characters include Penance, Angel, Trinary, Trinary, Multiple Man, Wind Dancer, Saline, Mastermind, and Sarah St. John. We return to comics with a brief flashback featuring Saline and Mastermind having a coffee. They reminisce a bit about the time they spent together in the Hellfire Club, which, tell you what, uh, it's actually more continuity than I'd expect from this book. It's, you know, very surface level, but still. Now, they also talk about what they're going to be doing with X-Corp, and they also point out some security guards who might actually be noblesse goons. It's wildly interesting stuff. Zaylene then realizes that Monet was just attacked, and so in she goes to help out. Now, if you recall, and I wouldn't necessarily blame you if you don't, Sarah St. John had just injected Monet with some sort of all-new power-suppressant drug. Now, also, you might recall that the scene we saw in issue 3 ended a little bit differently than what we're going to see now. I mean, we actually saw St. John leave the room and make pithy remarks to Trinary Trinary and uh, Windancer, right? I swear we saw that scene. Here, though, uh, we pick up immediately post-injection, so she hasn't left the room yet, and then Celine shows up from out of nowhere, restrains St. John, and pops the psychic dampener out of her ear. I don't know if this is the point to remind you that uh, these are the good guys. These are the people we're supposed to be rooting for in this book. She then uses her powers to make it appear as though St. John is strapped upside down and naked to a stone that's either hanging above or being lowered into molten lava. Okay, I'm really trying here, folks. Saline then ends the illusion and then crushes the side dampener gimmick betwixt her fingers. St. John then stumbles out of the room and Saline waits for Monet to come too. When she does, they glibly chat about how Monet is now in Saline's debt, which should get the latter a seat on the X-Corp board, and then they leave. Okay, first, uh, Monet and Saline are drawn to be almost identical, minus the skin tone. And also, I thought Monet crashed through the, the ceiling or the roof last issue. Uh, didn't we see Trinary Trinary and uh, Wind Dancer pop into the room to see a big giant hole in the ceiling? Is there any continuity here? Editors? Editors? Maybe? Um, maybe the editorial team is worried about getting a one-star review if they dare question any of this. Who knows? Anyway, from here, we shift back to Madrox's lab. And, uh, hey, you remember that intrusion that we just learned about three pages ago? Well, it, it's been handled off-panel. Um, Bishop, Sunspot, Vulcan, and uh, the Neil Shara Thunderbird have already taken care of the problem. Okay, um, so how and why are there friggin' mercenaries in Jamie's lab? Well, as uh, Warren gets the sit-rep over the phone, Monet and Celine saunter up and they have an idea about uh, how this all went down. But again, didn't Monet penance up and bash through the ceiling of the room last issue? I didn't imagine that, right? Anyway, uh, Celine shares St. John, Cole, and Noblesse's plan, and it's, uh, it's stupid as hell. St. John was apparently going to use the depowered Monet as a hostage, for reason. I mean, isn't the tech talk thing like a very public event? I mean, I'm not in PR, 
but this whole thing sounds friggin' ridiculous. It's almost like it's being written by someone with zero real-world experiences here. <clears throat> uh, anyway, disaster averted, I guess, and so Warren calls an emergency board meeting. Now, if you thought everything we read up till now was rough, well, uh, to quote BTO, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, the meeting starts with Warren booting Trinary Trinary off the board. She's still part of X-Corp, but just not in a board member capacity. Because she's got a criminal record, you see. So let's all forget that Celine was just part of a very high-profile story over in Captain America where she was literally killing people. I'm sure that would probably be news to the creative team here. Now the rest of the ex-corpers protest this, which really annoys Angel. He slams his hand on the table and says they gotta vote for how they're gonna deal with noblesse. Monet says that they should make a deal and just buy the company out from under Cole. Now, Warren is certain that Cole isn't interested in selling, but that's not what Monet is driving at. She explains that there are ten shareholders under Cole who, together, own a bigger share than he does. So, if they buy those people out, they'll get control of the company. Which, you know, sounds perfectly logical if you have absolutely zero experience with corporations and company shares. Now, a brief anecdote, of course. This is my experience. I can't say that it's a blanket statement, but uh, I spent several years working for a corporation, and during that time, I did amass a small amount of uh, company shares. I mean, I'm very, very low level here, but still, I did look into selling them. And again, this is just anecdotal. Certainly not an all-encompassing take on selling, you know, corporate or company shares, but uh, there were a lot of hoops I had to jump through just to sell, like, the tiniest, tiniest, most insignificant amount of stocks to the point where I just gave up because it just wasn't worth my time anymore. So there are hoops you have to jump through for this sort of thing. Um, this take reminds me of that scene in The Office where Michael Scott goes to the middle of the room and just says, I declare bankruptcy. Like, as though it's that easy to do it. You just say, you declare it, and suddenly you just are bankrupt. Anyway, while Monet blabbers on, we see that she and Celine have already done this. They've met with all ten of the under-owners, and, uh, well, they threatened them into signing away their shares. We see Monet as penance. We see Celine with her, with her heel on some dude's neck. Now, with such a large shift in ownership for one of the top tech corporations in the world, you would almost think this would be a high-profile thing that would be maybe not... Well, actually, it would be investigated. But even if it wasn't investigated, it would probably be something that got talked about. I mean, there are entire cable channels, there are high-profile websites that deal with this sort of thing. This would be the top news story on one of these uh, programs or sites. And with even the tiniest amount of digging, this would probably be outed as a hostile and not completely above-board and legal takeover. I mean, it's basically robbery. Anyway, uh, Warren suggests that they put this to a vote. So let's do the vote on an info page. And here we see that everyone but Warren has voted yes to Monet's plan. Now the document is signed by Warren, Monet, Celine, Madrox, and Wingard, and their signatures look pretty fake. Um, the computer-generated signatures are not very good. Now it's worth noting that Trinary Trinary's name is not here. So Warren does get one win, I suppose. Now back to comics, and Warren is disappoint. And you ain't the only one, pal. Monet then comes clean that not only did she win the vote, but the deed's already been done. And Warren asks what would have happened if the vote didn't go in her favor, and this doesn't even get answered because who gives a crap. 
Warren then turns to Mastermind, who suggests that this is the best PR move, because fighting with Noblesse is a losing battle or something. You see, Noblesse won't let the world forget that X-Corp are mutants. Well, you know, the CEO or CXO has wings, and the corporation operates out of a hovering citadel, so perhaps PR spin control ought to start at home? Mm. Also, I mean, if we're talking PR, uh, forcing shareholders to sell you their stocks under threats of violence, that might not be the best play. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to try to make sense of this anymore. Let's, let's just move on. Um, Warren dismisses everyone from the meeting except Monet, and then he challenges her to a fist fight, like an actual fist fight. And she responds by punching him in the face, and then he super kicks her. They then talk a bit about growing up training in the danger room, which... No, <laughs> that didn't happen for Monet. Not that our creative team ever read any Generation X, I'd assume. Uh, Warren reveals that their boardroom is a danger room, because why not? They then taunt each other about their darker halves, uh, Archangel and Penance, respectively. Warren shifts into Archangel and starts firing off razors at Monet. They then call back to their deaths during Hoxpox. If you recall, they were inexplicably part of the Mother Mold mission, wherein everybody died. So this whole dual persona gimmick with trying to keep their darker halves in check, that might have been born in their resurrection then. So, okay, hey, credit where it's due. That's continuity, I like it. Now the fight is then interrupted by the arrival of... <sighs> Noblesse people arriving at X-Corp HQ with guns. Hmm, okay. Info page, it's a letter from J.P. Cole, and I, I don't friggin' know. Um, it looks like he was interested in selling to Xavier, but then he wasn't. But I mean, didn't we just find out that he only owned a minority share of Noblesse anyway? I mean, say he did sell to Xavier, it's not like X-Corp would have had complete control. I, I don't, I really, I don't know. I don't know. So J.P. Cole and Sarah St. John, they're allowed to use a Krakoan gateway as they're being accompanied by the Fenris twins. They approach Madrox's lab, and Jamie is frantically trying to reabsorb all of his dupes as to not lose their research. He then goes to the door and is shot by Sarah. Archangel and Monet see this go down, and thankfully, we're done. Next episode is the 250th episode, and also the first part of the Trial of Magneto. Now, folks familiar with the show will know that uh, the segment that follows the synopsis is something I refer to as talking time. It's, uh, if anybody's familiar with the old Nintendo game Clash at Demon Head, uh, anytime there was a uh, little bit of dialogue, a little box would come up that said talking time. And I thought that was a, a cute little thing. So I have talking time here, and it only has one word. And the one word is, nope. <laughs> I really don't have anything to say. Well, okay, you know what, I'll, let me... Let me that's a cop-out. Let me try to say some things here. First of all, uh, the message here seems to be corporations bad, right? Uh, while cashing checks from Disney. Um, and I mean, there is a lot of story fodder in corporations being underhanded, a little, you know, underboard. But there needs to be more than that. I mean, if that's your angle, you'd barely feel like a, like a three-strip Dagwood comic, much less a five-issue, 100-plus-page series. There needs to be more than, than that. Um, and it also needs to be written by someone who's lived in the real world, and uh, not like a first-semester college student who's just come home for Thanksgiving to tell their parents that they disagree with every belief they have and what they were raised with. It, that's what this feels like. It feels very petulant and very surface-level, and um, there needs to be more. There certainly needs to be more. 
Going into this series, I was not optimistic that this was a story that needed to be told. But that's certainly not to say that it shouldn't be told, because, I mean, there's opportunity everywhere for intrigue and for and for fun story fodder. It's just, we're not getting it here. Um, uh, what else? Uh, a Madrox is dead cliffhanger? Is this 1991? Come on. Not only do we have the resurrection protocols, but we've got dupes. We saw dozens of dupes in the panels leading up to the shot. So come on, we, we can do better than this. Um, finally, the art... I really, really feel uncomfortable talking about art quality, but it, I didn't find it to be that great here. Uh, characters, were, they looked identical outside of skin tone. Though, I mean, with a script like this, I doubt anybody could be inspired to bring their A-game. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say about this issue, but I feel like I need to uh, end this little portion of the show by saying that I do not hate the people involved in this book, and I do not want you to hate them on my behalf. We can like what we like and not like what we don't like. Um... And you guys know me, I'm so unconfident in my own opinion that I am totally fine chalking this entire series up to being a uh, constant loop of Chris problems. I'm totally fine saying that, but uh, that's all I have to say about X-Corp number four. Let's uh, hop into the mailbag so I can let you all get on with the rest of your day. And, uh, well, we, we've got more X-Corp to talk about because Peter is writing in to talk about X-Corp number one. Peter says, you're usually a lot more positive than I feel about most of these books, but even when you love a book, the neutral and negative elements, which are often the funniest parts, don't get glossed over. And that's what makes your coverage so enjoyable. I think you'll continue to feel apologetic about really negative reviews, but you shouldn't, because you do your reviews right. Well, I tell you, I think I needed to hear this now more than ever. There are a few things that I try to implement into my, uh, I don't even know if we would call it a review process, just my discussion process, and it comes down to two things, really. It comes down to fairness and honesty, which I guess can be lumped into just uh, overall integrity, if I may be so bold. Um, like Peter said, even in the things that I love, I'll still point out things that don't quite work, because that's part of the package, you know, I won't blindly tell you that uh, just because I like something, you're going to like something. At least as much as I like it, right? It's, it'd be foolish for me to expect that. Also, when there's something I don't like, I understand that we all have different preferences. So even like a book like X-Corp, which really doesn't work for me, if there are folks out there who dig it, and I try to see the positive here. I gave some kudos for continuity usage here. I, I do whatever I can to see whatever positive I can. But that's not to say that everyone's going to agree with my point of view. If this series absolutely rocks your socks, that's great. You know, I'm not going to say you're wrong. And I would hope that you wouldn't tell me that I'm wrong. It's just we have different preferences and different things that uh, scratch us where we itch, I guess. I guess, you know, overall the way I look at it is if you're going to spend any amount of your day with me, you know, listening to this idiot give his thoughts on these books, the very least I can do is be honest, and uh, I can promise you, while I'm not a provocateur, I have had some hot takes on these books, and while I've been nervous about sharing them, because I'm, I don't want clapback, I don't want to invite clapback, I don't want to be that guy, but, uh, I mean, if you're going to spend a half hour with me every day, I owe it to you to be honest. I mean, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, we're in a world of 10 out of 10s and 1 out of 10s as far as reviews are concerned. We either hate everything about it and we hate everybody involved with it, or we love everything and love everybody involved with it. I shouldn't have to tell you, but that's not how we should do things. In doing things that way, we're not helping anybody. 
We're not helping creators. We're not helping fans. We're not helping people who might be curious about trying books. We're not doing anybody any service unless we're honest. And while I would probably have a much wider listenership if I was, you know, rah-rah, everything's perfect, or boo, everything sucks, that's just not the way I do things. And hopefully uh, the folks listening appreciate that. Let's get back to Peter's message here. He says, I got some other bits. I vote yes to covering Hidden Years and First Class in the Essential X-Lab series. And, well, I've, I've got some news about that that'll be coming very, very soon, actually. Uh, it might not be what everybody's expecting, but, uh, well, 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 we'll get there when we get there. Uh, Peter continues, I don't know what happens in Planet Size yet, but I'll find out in three more episodes. To which I say, wow, good on you for not getting spoiled. I think a lot of us were spoiled... Like a couple of months before the book even came out So that's that's quite a feat <laughs> Not getting spoiled even a month or two uh, removed from the event Now uh, Peter continues I keep forgetting while listening that Professor X is walking around at all times In a big dorky helmet and it's rarely brought up In these post-Hoxpox books It's not just that so many of the characters aren't acting like themselves that I don't like But also when they do act like themselves It doesn't make sense to me why they're giving so much around them a blind pass Maybe there'll be a great explanation, but reading some of my favorite characters act peculiar, peculiar, how do you say that word, peculiar, I guess, <laughs> and morally deficient for two to three years does not appeal to me. Well, if you're listening to this episode, chances are you listened to the Way of X number five episode that came just before. So we do have some new theories as to why characters are acting the way that they do. And, uh, well, it's, uh, it's all Onslaught-related, and maybe, maybe that's the uh, back door to the situation where we can kind of massage it into making sense. Peter continues, One thing I do like about this era is that there are a lot of characters getting the spotlight that usually don't, and that means almost any of these characters has the opportunity to become a new favorite. Also, I don't know what I know and don't know about fashion, but I do have three large hardcover of Erte prints, or Ert, I don't know what that word is, I'm sorry, E-R-T-E, I'm assuming that's a uh, person or an artist? <laughs> and a lot of the gala costumes seem to be designed in that vein. I can't believe the X-Men throwing a cocktail party is a big X event. An Iron Man and Captain America chatting with Mr. Sinister, no matter his sassiness level, really struck me as odd. It sounded like we were supposed to think the Avengers didn't know who he was, but maybe I misinterpreted those scenes. And yeah, I think you're 100% right here. It was very weird seeing who was hobnobbing with who. I think it was a recent issue of uh, Children of the Atom, the final issue, where we saw, like, it looked like Rogue and Mr. Sinister were talking. It's like, how does, how does that make sense? I, I think the only thing that could have been weirder is if Apocalypse was still here, and you'd have Captain America chatting up Apocalypse. I think that could be the only thing that would be a little bit stranger than them talking to Mr. Sinister. Uh, Peter continues, I thought Beast might be the Dark Beast from the beginning, but then thought someone would surely notice him dyeing his fur a brighter shade of blue at some point. Of course, in the Marvel Universe, it could be the result of mixing their genetics or consciousnesses, and there have been a hundred other ways to change the color of fur that we have in our non-Marvel world, but the idea of Dark Beast constantly touching up his fur with highlights while trying to air out the smell and avoid leaving blue stains around Krakoa wouldn't leave my mind to the point that then I then completely discounted this perfectly valid theory. <laughs> and yes, Beast is uh, hes quite the quandary right now, isn't he? We really don't know what's up with him. Part of me feels like the beast we have now is the result of like a, a cerebro soup where the memories and motivations of both beasts were put into a into a gold ball at some point and 
let loose on the island here? I mean, there is that theory we had from, I think Evan mentioned it many, many moons ago, where maybe all the real X-Men are deep down in the bowels of Krakoa right now, and everything we've been seeing up to this point has been uh, has been gold ball clones. I mean, that certainly seems to be the easiest way to walk this all back, and it wouldn't surprise me if that were the way they went about doing it, because, frankly, it works, right? It really does work. Now, as for Beast dyeing his fur here, you know, Beast is quite the savant when it comes to uh, disguises and whatnot, so who knows, right? Um, I recently uh, reacquainted myself with the Amazing Adventure stories, where uh, Beast changed into the furry Beast. Uh, that's something we will be covering on the Essential X Lapsed, um way, way down the line, you know, once we're through the original 66, of course, but, uh, like, over the course of, like, four panels, Beast is somehow able to read a book on on costuming and mask design and also making an absolutely perfect Hank McCoy latex mask. So he's quite good at the costuming, so maybe dyeing his fur is is child's play for uh, good Dr. McCoy here. But uh, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, And I tell you what, thank you so much for addressing my reviewing process because I needed it today. So thank you so much. Uh, Next up, we got Evan, who's talking about Excalibur number 21. Evan says, I hope you at least got to enjoy venting about this issue, because I had several laugh-out-loud moments thanks to your exasperation. So I was entertained, even if you weren't. Well, I will certainly take that as a silver lining. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Evan continues, I wasn't quite as baffled by Reuben What's-His-Face's ambassadorship, If you're in a world where mutants have suddenly become a world power, you'd be looking for some way to level the playing field. And with Captain Britain, a witch breed herself, and the government apparently forgetting the Union team they introduced back in King and Black, I guess a coven makes sense as a callback. I presume Reuben got the approval of Parliament, etc. to dissolve the treaty, but I'm as skeptical of the development of coven care as you are. It's, uh, you know, it's like I said during this issue of X-Corp here. Everything... If you don't think about it, it makes sense, right? You know, let's buy out all these stocks so we'll have control of the company. Well, cool. Okay, that's that makes perfect sense if you don't actually think about it. Here we've got, okay, well, let's cede all control and our global representation to a coven of witches. Well, sure, we're in the fantastical Marvel universe. Stranger things have happened. So if you don't think about it, it's like, okay, well, that works. It, it, it ups the ante for Excalibur and for Krakoa as a whole... But if you stop and think about it, well, it all kind of falls apart. Um, I mean, we had a... I don't remember which issue of Excalibur it was, if it was this one or the one that followed it, but, like, Richter, like, physically lifted part of an island out, and that suddenly became sovereign Krakoan land. <laughs> it's... that's not how it works. I... I... I don't know. Evan continues, The problem I have is, this could have been a good story. To see the debate and machinations as the coven gain power, maybe, instead of just, boom, Reuben's the ambassador. Just like seeing Betsy actually trying to be Captain Britain would be a good story. And totally, you're totally right there. One of the things that I've said about Teeny Howard's work from the start is when she gets out of her own way and just lets the characters exist in the world that they live in, she's actually quite a talented writer. Her dialogue can be very, very good when we have characters interacting with one another, when we're seeing that these characters aren't just empty costumes, that they're actually people with a history and who care about one another and who have, like I said, just history. You, you feel it. And when, when we do that, it's really good. But sometimes we just want the thing to happen. 
And I think I've given this anecdote before, but uh, back when I fancied myself to be a writer, and I'm not a good writer. You know, those who can do, and those who can't, podcast. That's one of my credos. So uh, I'm not a great writer, but you have ideas about things you really want to write, right? And instead of actually getting the story to a point where those things can organically happen and actually pay something off, you just want those things to happen. And I think I compared it to not laying a foundation before building a house. You know, you can build a house without a foundation and it'll look like a house, but a stiff wind will knock it over. If you build the foundation, the unglamorous and the unsexy part of the house, right? Because nobody sees the foundation, but it's so important, then the house is going to stand. And I feel like a lot of writers today, and this might just be an indictment on the way comics are presented nowadays, where everything is on a razor line, right? You could be canceled right out of the gate. So you have to actually do the thing. You know, you can't build. And there's a... It's hard to find that happy medium because sometimes you put too much into the build, kind of like we saw with Children of the Atom, where that book just didn't get room to breathe. It was just build, 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 done. But then we get books like X Corp and Excalibur where it's just thing, thing, thing with no room to build. Which is why after, you know, two plus years, we're still in Otherworld. Betsy is still trying to prove that she could be Captain Britain despite wearing the costume for two years now, at least in our time. It just... I don't know. I guess I'm kind of taking the scenic route here to say, I agree with you. (laughs) There was a way to do this, and there was a better way to do it. Uh, Evan continues, I was a little surprised by Pete Wisdom's fate, but even pre-resurrection protocols, I would have casually remarked, eh, he'll be back soon enough. But if the five do bring him back, the coven will then know that something is up with the mutants cheating death, and that could be interesting. It could be, yes. Um, I think you have a lot more optimism in that development than I do. I hope you're right, but I could totally see, you know, Pete Wisdom on the, uh, you know, on the front lines of the next fight with the Coven and it not even getting a mention that they sacrificed him. I hope I'm wrong, but I can totally see that. But uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. Anyway, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that issue. And uh, that'll do it for the mailbag here. Uh, one last thing before we quit. We got shout-outs here. I want to thank everyone who uh, engaged with the social media postings of X-Lapsed and helped to signal boost the humble little program here. Uh, first on Twitter, I'd like to thank Jacob Jones, Mark Jagger, Jeremiah, The Longbox Crusade, Dave Schultz, Wayne Burroughs, Dear Watchers, a Marvel What If podcast, The Long Box of Darkness, Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, and Kirk Spencer. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Jeremiah, Walt Nealon, Billy D, and John Paul Thibodeau Scott. Thank you all so much for helping out the show. It really does mean so much to me, so thank you all so, so much. With that said, let's uh, let's take this one home. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me for any reason, you can find me several different places. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can also call into the X-Lapse voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. Over on uh, chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, you can find blog posts and show notes. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. And, of course, the full archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which aggregate everywhere noise aggregates on this worldwide internet. That will do it for today. 249 episodes in the can. Next episode, number 250, will be a low-key celebration with a, a couple of surprises. Um... Certainly not in, you know, all-out bash like X-Lapse 200 was, where that was like a 
10 or 11 hour show This one will be uh, more normal sized than that Maybe a little extra sized But um, hopefully what I'm adding is going to be something that you all enjoy And uh, we'll talk more about that uh, next time But uh, till then, I want to thank you all so much for hanging out with me today And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon See ya